0: Hey, we're in anointed. Uh, This week, we're in week three. Is it week four? I can count. Week four. From field to throne. And so we have been talking a lot about different things and just wanted to say, first off, the room felt different with worship this morning, didn't it? Just the word that was preached last week about singing a new song, being comfortable with it, being ready for it, that the anointed, that means you guys, that you're, you're ready to step in. Are you guys ready to step into his word? Yes. Thank you for stepping into worship, but let's step into his word this morning. If you want to get ready, I'm going to do the same for you. I'm going to give you the chance. Get to Second Samuel chapter 7. Just one chapter later from last week. Didn't plan it out that way, but it works. You know, if you, if you works, if you work at it. That's right. It works if you work at it. Uh, But we are in week four of Anointed, Field the Throne. And I want to jump into you this morning with the reason this series, the reason why uh, our pastor planned this out, the heart behind why we're talking about David's life is because we don't want one of you to miss out. Not one soul to miss out on what God has for them. Because oftentimes, I think we even notice it in one another that we think, man, you have so much potential. And yet you're wasting away and you're not doing what you need to do. And yet now I'm looking at myself and saying, yeah, I can say that really easily for the person beside me. But I think I need to take a look at myself this morning. And so as I was getting to prep this for you guys, I think that's really what I had to do. I had to take a look at myself and say, what am I missing out on? What is the fullness of God that I'm missing out on? He has so much for me to do so much for me to serve, so much for me to accomplish, and it's not about my plan, it's not about my will, but it's about what he's doing. It says this in John ten ten, I came that they may have and enjoy life. I want you to know that you can enjoy life, even through the hardships, and even have it in abundance to the full until it overflows, somebody say overflow. Sometimes gotta say it to you till you really believe it, right? But the overflowing, we think that that's for us. That's what I've often thought. You know, Yvette and I have a great and fantastic house. We have things we don't deserve and we feel sometimes God pours in this blessing and yes, I'm thankful. But sometimes what happens is I, I feel that that overflow is for us in our free time, and our spare time, that we get to just soak it up. And I think there's moments of that. But this overflowing, Jesus was giving it to his disciples, an instruction that's saying, this is an overflow that goes far beyond you. This gift of overflowing life that you've been given, Chris, that you've been given, Brit- oh, congrats on getting married, by the way. Yeah, congrats on getting married. Um, one week, one week. Uh, I got to say congrats to Josh and get to say congrats to you. Um, But this overflow that is happening in each one of your life, reflecting back on it, it is meant for something more. The gift of overflow of life that comes with the call to a great service, a great service. We often think, maybe I don't feel anointed. I don't feel this overflow. And I think this may be the missing piece. As we've been talking about this, we we think, man, this overflow is for me. But when we recognize that it's for a great service, it's for a great work that he has set up for me to do for someone else, that overflow actually starts to happen. When we change our perspective, when we shift the way that we think about this, it becomes natural. It becomes a natural thing, not something you have to force. Because oftentimes we can walk through for many years as believers and not recognize this overflow. We think, man, I wish that the words were true on that page for me. I wish that they were true. It says in Ephesians chapter 2, for by grace you have been saved through faith, not by sight, but by faith, right? This is not a result of yourselves. Thank God it's not. And it's the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. So are we saved because we get to do great things for ourselves? Because I get to have an amazing life? Because I get to do what I want to do? The vision, which I'm so excited about today's message of talking about vision and what it looks like, but do I get to live out what my vision is? No, it's for he has created us as his workmanship in Christ Jesus for good works, for his good works, not ours. So which God prepared beforehand so that we should walk in them. It's unavoidable what we need to walk in. It's unavoidable. So we just need to stop fighting it. So can I, I wanna ask this question this morning, can I, an ordinary person, do a great work? Because I'm saying all these really, lofty things, these things that are very, uh, maybe the ideal. We preach this ideal and embrace what is real, right? But can it be real? Not just ideal. Can this be a real thing for me? I feel like just Joe Schmo off the street. Honestly, every time Yvette and I read through uh, the book of Genesis, which we've done like 50 times when we try to start over in the Bible, I read about Moses and how he stutters over his words, and Yvette laughs every time we read that account because she's like, that's you. Like that's you have you have no skill. How how did you get a microphone? I feel ordinary just like you do. But you're called to an extraordinary work. Something that he has planned out and ordained for you. So 1 Peter 2:9 it says it like this, but you are a chosen people. Again, this is unavoidable for your life. You have to embrace it. You have to just lean into what he already has for you. It is chosen for you, a royal priesthood, right? We have the authority, but we're also to serve. We have this authority to claim what is right in his will, what is in his name, in Jesus' name, but we also have this ability, not in authority, but also to come alongside and do the behind the scenes as I was even mentioning before, to do the things that serves others in a way that doesn't even need to be noticed. We're a holy nation, a people of God's own possession so that you may proclaim the excellencies. That is the purpose of everybody in this room. Whatever your occupation may be, you are to proclaim the excellencies of him in your own individual way. You have a nation to speak to, whether you're a school teacher, whether you're a mom, whether I'm as a massage therapist, whether you're working in IT, you think, well, how can I speak in IT, the, the excellencies of God? Believe me, those conversations will happen. If you are looking for the way to proclaim the excellencies of God, he will give you everything that you need. Who has called you out of darkness and into his marvelous light. Isn't that good news, church? Has anybody, as I, Nick asked last week, have you been saved out of a dark place? Have you experienced? And might I say, if you haven't recognized yet that you've been saved out of a dark place, ask him to reveal that to you. Ask him to reveal it to you. If if that doesn't ring true and you say, well, yeah, everybody says, amen, and I don't get it. I don't feel that. Ask him to show you. In order to be a priest, I wanted to say this. You had to be consecrated, right? You had to be set aside. We're we're, we're talking about this royal priesthood. Again, unfamiliar terms to us. You had to be consecrated, set apart for this great work. So when have you guys been set aside as a priest? Anybody? 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 A lot of Catholics maybe in the past. And you've experienced priests, and you think, I have not vowed to never be married. And I have not, I've not been in that position. I don't know what you're talking about, Jud. What, what does this passage even mean? Well, if we look back at the Old Testament, it gives us a picture of how the, the, the priesthood, Aaron, who was such a close person to, to Moses, he literally came along Moses and served him. He was his mouthpiece. He said, God said to Moses, Aaron will be to you as I am to you. So Moses was looking to God and Aaron was looking to Moses. Aaron was just a service to him. So it says here, there you shall take some of the blood. That sounds familiar. Jesus' blood that is on the altar and some of the anointing oil and sprinkle it on Aaron and on his garments and on his sons and on his son's garments with him. So we see Aaron is started in a long lineage now of the priest that would serve in the temple, but now the new covenant has come. Jesus has come, right? He's been on earth with us but now he's gone he's died he's rose again he shed his blood so we uh, thank jesus we don't have to sacrifice anymore right and i'm not going to sprinkle you with any blood this morning i promise you promise you maybe you haven't been sprinkled with oil either anybody had oil dumped on their head today or last week or anytime you become a believer mark no. Okay. So what are we talking about here? We still need to figure out this anointed thing. So I want you to write this down. If you've got notes, there's notes on the back of the seats. If you don't have it, write in your phone. But write this definition down. Anointed is to be equipped and positioned by God's hand for a great service. Not for me, myself, and I. Not to do really amazing things that I think are cool. But actually to do a great service for Him. Yes. Just like Aaron was back in The Old Testament, Jesus came so that we may have life, but not just life for us, but life for others. We're anointed to do a great service for him. You are positioned. Again, this is an unavoidable thing. You just have to embrace the truth. So how are we anointed? You're you're explaining all these things to me, Judd. I don't understand fully. I know that you're saying Jesus came, that he bought me with his blood. If I believe in his name and confess him as savior and Lord of my life, his blood on the cross, it's shed, right? It covers me. But how am I anointed still? I'm not understanding. Well, there's a couple of words we need to look at and it's a Hebrew word and a Greek word. You can go ahead and put it, is it mashah? Mashah. Mashah. See? I don't speak Hebrew. To smear, anoint, or to spread a liquid. That's literally what they would do is they would actually spread a liquid. And as you guys remember, we've been explaining about how it's the same term that covers the boat. So if you make the boat that's ready to go in the water, again, I have not made a boat either, but I I can see it in my head at least, that you curve the wood, right? You make it all together and then you take the tar, you actually fill in the gaps or the holes. It's the same term. what a beautiful picture that is. And then the Greek word, what is it? Creo. Thank you. See, I'm not going to get it wrong. In doing Christians with the gifts of the Holy Spirit. So in actually in doing of or a putting on of the Holy Spirit. Yes. Yes. This is the picture of the oil that comes on and anoints our life to do what we need to do. Yes. So God has smeared his hand over us, right? And anointed us with the Holy Spirit. So when you believed and you said that prayer or you meant it genuinely from your heart that i'm going to be a follower of jesus you were sealed with the holy spirit you were anointed and set apart for a good work from there on out does that make sense church does that make sense and if it doesn't i i wanted to say is if that still seems confusing please come talk to one of us either nick or myself or emily or yvette please come talk to one of us because that is something we need to get that we need to understand. So it keeps going. First Samuel, we're jumping into the life of David again. And the Lord said, arise, anoint him, for this is he. Out of all his brothers, he was the one that was picked. So Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the midst of his brothers. And the spirit of the Lord rushed upon David from that day forward. So there you see it, even in the Old Testament, even though those physical things that we don't do today, you still see the spirit of God rushing upon David from that day forward. He was anointed, set apart to do a great work. So from field to throne, we're going to be surveying the life of David still today. We're going to learn about the walk of the anointed. Again, somebody say anointed. Anointed. This is something that we need to really grasp this morning is that being anointed again is not my own vision. It is not my own way of doing things any longer. It may feel unfamiliar, but I do believe as we embrace this as being a service for others, it will start to feel more natural. So from field to throne. So I wanted to ask you guys this question about vision this morning and maybe about the length of your life. What is it that you will live out this life, right? You're going to live out this anointing. What, will you live out the anointing God has on you, even if you don't see the fruit, so even if you don't get to see the outcome, will you live this out? There's many things that you're anointed to do. And some of them you'll get to see the result of what he's doing and how he's working. But I, I, I beg to say that maybe there's some big things that you want to seek to come to fruition in your journey. Maybe through your children maybe through your grandchildren to come, that you want to see the outcome, the result of your life lived out serving them, being anointed in the position that you are as father, mother, sister, brother. Will you still live this out even if you don't see the ending? Will you actually live it out to the end? I dare to say if if it's about your vision, you won't. If it's about what you say and what you want to do, you won't. This is something that you have to think about if you want to run this journey, this race to the end you have to believe that his vision is greater. Amen? Amen? I was speaking with my father-in-law this last week and he sat down and we had kind of like a a 3am discussion. One of those where we sit down and we talked about life and everybody else had gone to bed and he talked to me about his daughters and he has three daughters. Yvette's the oldest of three. And he talked to me about his family and he said, you know, I just want to tell you that the only thing I really care about, he's coming to an age where he's about to retire. Like he's, he's looking forward to it, but he really, all he cares about and what he told me was, all I care is that all three of my kids are successful. All I care is that they go on to do something great, that they own businesses, that they do something for themselves and that they don't just fall flat. And he may never get to see that promise. He may get to an age where he doesn't get to see all of his daughters take off. And I know that he's proud of them where they're at, but he has this vision that he wants so much more for them. And it's kind of heavy because he's like telling me, and I'm married to his daughter, and he's like basically telling me, you know, you better get with it. Like, do your thing. Make sure you're providing. Make sure you're doing it right. But I want you guys to think about the things you may not get to see in your lifetime. It says this in Acts 13, I believe. Yes, 13, for David, after he had served God's purpose in his own generation, he what? He fell asleep and was buried among his fathers and underwent decay. After all of the anointing that was on his life, and that's how that verse goes, that he ends in decay. That he doesn't get to go on living. He doesn't get to go on seeing what comes after. Is he putting in all this hard work just for everything to fall apart? Just for the next generation. We talk about building a 500 year church. I think we need to know the vision of what he has for us, don't we church? You need to know the vision that you have for your home. Men, I need you to wake up for this statement again. You need to know the vision that you have for your home. Is it your vision? No, is it your vision? Or is it his? What is the vision he has? David lived out the purpose in his own generation and didn't get to see all the future blessing. He didn't get to know if it worked out in the end. He was given promises, but he didn't know if it was going to work out. He didn't know what it was going to look like. You can put that back up there as people can write it down. He didn't get to see the end result when Solomon came along wanted to share this proverb chapter 13 verse 22 it says this a good man leaves an inheritance of moral stability and goodness not just the finances it does speak about leaving a household of, of setting up your kids of setting up this maybe wealth but of actual moral stability and goodness to his children's children not just his children but his grandchildren for two generations even it needs to be something that lasts and the wealth of the sinner finds its way eventually into the hands of the righteous for whom it was laid up. So God's anointed, I wanted to say this this morning, I wanted you to write this down as well. God's anointed, you all have a backswing. Can somebody say backswing? Back Literally Back the backswing of golf. Legacy men, you guys ready to golf? Yeah, all right. Perfect timing for this, this sermon, right? Uh, does that look good? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. It's all right. It wasn't that good. Uh, the backswing is literally what? The preparation where you're loading in, a, in the right, correct position so that you can duck, come down in a downward swing and strike the ball straight, right? So your life, thinking about your life as the backswing for the next generation, literally what is your backswing going to look like? And we can actually tell what your backswing, the trajectory of the ball is going to look like. The inheritance that you're going to pass down by the backswing that you have right now, right? So when you load, and this is your life right here, as you're coming up and you're, even, you're not even getting ready to swing yet, but we can see you're loading up, right? And what you're doing, what you're living out for him and you're anointing, what does that look like? Is your backswing, can we look at that and say, yep, that ball's gonna hit straight. Can we look at that and say, yep, that's the vision of God. That will be undeniably straight. Because we can look at man's plans. I can look at my own plans, and I've failed many times in my own plans. And realized, if I asked somebody, they could have told me my swing looked a little wonky. Right? That it didn't look like the ball was going to fly straight. But when we see God's vision in the backswing of your life, we know that ball is going to fly straight down the fairway. So I wanted to talk a little bit about David here and, and jumping into this account because I think he gives us a great picture of a great backswing. Was he perfect? No. He was at the start of his kingdom. He'd just become king maybe three chapters before. I think it was in chapter five of Second Samuel. And so as I was picturing this happening, this account, when I was reading it, I was thinking this was the end, but it was actually the beginning of his kingship. It was literally the beginning of this backswing we're talking about. And look how he swings. We're going to jump into it here. David, he gives us an example. You can put the next line up there. David gives us an example of living out the position God has for him. His backswing gives us great insight into how the ball will fly. He gives us great insight into that. Again, we know that he goes on to do many things. He even is reminded by the same prophet that we see in this account as we're gonna be jumping into chapter seven. Nathan tells him later on, remember when he messed up with Bathsheba? He saw her on the roof. He saw her taking a bath and he stole somebody else's wife. Mm -mm. And Nathan basically said, you were called and set apart and anointed. He actually uses those words and he says, basically checked him and said, what are you doing? What are you doing? Don't waste this. But in this account, he starts off strong, and I wanted to jump into this and tell you, God's anointed are given vision to bless generations for him. Just as David was given this vision, you are not David. I want to remind you, and I know Nick has said that as our pastor, he said, you are not David, right? You do not need to be king of Israel. You do not need to slay Goliath but you have many things that you were called to do and it is meant to bless the next generation. It's not meant for your life to be perfect. It's not meant for you to have it all together. And I promise you, when you shift that, again, just as we've been talking about week in and week out of being anointed, there's a shift in vision there that needs to happen. It's for my kids and my kids' kids. It's for the next generation of this church that's gonna take it over. They need to be set up in a way where that ball is the perfect ball. Amen, church? So again, this account, and I, I think this we already had said this a little bit, but the, God gives us, uh, David gives us this picture of experiencing God's favor, but he is a channel for his son. He's not just doing it for himself. He's actually saying, everything that I do, all the work, hard work that I'm putting in, I may not get to see the biggest blessing. I may not get to see all the victories, but I do get to see my son take it over in a way with strength. I get to see him take it over in a way that is competent. We're building people that have confidence. His son took it on and his son became the most wisdom-filled person. He was known as the wisest king that had ever lived. Do you think that Solomon gained that solely after having just a father that wasn't present, after having a father that wasn't able to teach him how to wield a powerful kingdom? And we don't look at the, the ripple effect of our life. We don't look at the fact that many things will happen beyond our years. So it jumps in here, Second Samuel 7, we'll jump into verse one. Now it came about when the king lived in his house and the Lord had given him rest on every side from all his enemies. Remember he had brought in the ark, he had worshiped like we talked about last week and now his enemies had been defeated. They talked about how he slayed his ten thousands, and he's at rest. I love that he has this heart in this next part. And the Lord had given him rest on every side from all his enemies. And the king said to Nathan, the prophet, see now I live in a house of cedar. David's saying his house is, (laughs) it's great. It's grand. But the ark of God remains within the tent. He's coming off this worship experience and he's thinking, man, I got to build a house for God. I got to do the right thing. I got to have the right swing as we're talking about. Nathan said to The king, go, do all that is in your mind, for the Lord is with you. So David, he wanted to establish a peace for his people. Think about this. He's bringing the ark back into a place where it doesn't have to travel anymore. They're going to be in one spot. This is going to be peace for his people, for his nation. He's trying to swing big and swing right. And a place for God's presence. Literally a place for God to be a house built that was just... Reflective of how they thought of him, of how they lifted him up. Wouldn't that be a noble thing to do? And wouldn't that be the thing that he deserves? Wouldn't that be the thing that David deserves to see? Like you think about, I work hard, I come home. I deserve to have my throne. I deserve to have my kingdom, right? Tyler's shaking his head, yep. So David, in a sense, he was entitled to this position to build God's house. He showed how much reverence he had for him. But it goes on. But in the same night, the word of the Lord came to Nathan, saying, Go and say to my servant David, This is what the Lord says Should you build me a house for my dwelling? In other words, did you check with me? Did you ask me whether you should build this? Is this your vision or my vision? For I have not dealt, dwelt in a house since the day I was brought up, uh, brought up the sons of Israel from Egypt, even to this day. Rather, I have been moving about in a tent that is in a dwelling place. You can go ahead and do the next slide for me. Wherever I have gone with all the sons of Israel, did I speak a word with one of the tribes of Israel whom I commanded to shepherd my people Israel, saying, why have you not built me a house of cedar? God says again, I didn't say this. I didn't speak this. You may think it's a grand plan. You may think it's the right move. How many of you guys feel that way sometimes? I think this is the right move. I don't know if I've heard from him, but I think this is the right move. And sometimes he may not speak in this audible voice, but we know that we haven't checked with him yet, right? Now then, this is what you shall say to my servant David. This is what the Lord of the army says. I myself took you from the pasture, from the falling of the sheep to be leader over my people Israel. Keeps going. And I have been with you wherever you have gone. I have eliminated all your enemies from you. May that be a reminder. Has he eliminated anything for you? Has he removed a sin or a stronghold for you this year? Are you recognizing that he wants to remove a strong sin or a stronghold this, this morning? We battle in the unseen, right? We may not have the enemies that David had, but we have enemies that we do need to defeat for our family, for your children. You need to defeat it and slay it for good. I don't have mental problems anymore. In Jesus' name, it's healed, right? And I rely on him to keep healing me. I don't have a problem with pornography anymore. I I name it and claim it and say, Jesus has power over that area of my life, not me, that he is going to put it to rest for me. I have a problem with habitual lying or or being deceptive with my spouse or with people around me to protect my reputation. I put it to rest. I will not let that pass on to my children, amen? I will not let my fear of people pass on to my children. I will not let my inconsistency of not enduring in strength, Not I will not let that pass on to my children or to the people around me. And I will establish a place for my people Israel and will plant them so that they may live in their own place and not be disturbed again. So he's promising, I will do this. I am going to do this, nor will malicious people oppress them anymore as previously, even from the day that I appointed judges over my people Israel. And I will give you rest from all your enemies. And last part here, the Lord also declares to you that the Lord will make a house for you. When your days are finished, he's talking to David, and you lie down with your fathers, I will raise up your descendants after you. You will come who will come from you and I will establish his kingdom. He shall build a house for my name, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. Forever, so he's giving him a promise, right? He's allowing David to see in the future, but you're not gonna get to see it. I wrote this down, God anointed David to do all the prep work and promised the outcome to his son Solomon, bummer, bummer. It's really hard to be a pioneer. It's really hard to be a pioneer of the faith, but we're all called to pioneer for our families. We're all called to pioneer for those around us in a way that sets the tone for those, those that are to come. And even as we're stepping into a new building, there's unknown territory to be taken. And there's things that seem unfamiliar and we may have a great plan, but he has to set the vision, amen? Yes. To set this 500 year church keeps, first uh, Kings, I wanted to show you that it did come true. Solomon built the house and finished it. Amen. Yeah. He built it right after David was gone. He lined the walls of the house on the inside with boards of cedar, just like his dad planned to from the, fo- from the floor of the house to the walls of the ceiling. Can you imagine your, your father passing something like this down to you? How much care and meticulous, he would be about the details of what his dad had laid out with a vision that had been given to David, a promise to his father, and he's building the legacy that his dad was promised. Wow, look at that. And he covered them on the inside with wood and covered the floor of the house with the boards of cypress. He built 20 cubits of the rear of the house with boards of cedar from the floor to the walls, and he built this within an inner sanctuary as the most holy place for God's presence, for the very presence of God. There was A lot of details here I could have given you, but I wanted to at least show you that he did it. It took him seven years just to build the house and 13 years to build the whole surrounding. I mean, he worked at this. So David set the foundation and Solomon built God's house. The father who dreams, you can write this down. Please write this down. And I want you guys to all take this to heart for yourself. The father who dreams sets his son up for his destiny. Remember, this backswing is hugely important as you're anointed, you're called, you're set apart for a very specific work, but it's not for you. It's for him. It's all for him. And so the next generation will only reflect him if you have a vision for God, for what he wants to do. And we limit that. We don't allow for the, the grandness that God wants to build in the next generation. We don't allow for the capacity of that because our vision is so small so limited i wonder if he built that house even grander than david expected i don't know what david expected but i wonder if he built even more than what he had thought that his kingdom went on to be more famous and full of riches more than david could have even thought because david didn't think i have to take it on i want to show you this that he didn't think that he had to take over god's vision go to the next slide for me i will be a father to him he's promising david i'm going to look out for your son and he will be a son to me. When he does wrong, I will discipline him with a rod of men, with the strokes of sons of mankind. But my favor shall not depart from him. That favor is beyond David's wildest expectations. And I think sometimes if I'm being honest too, the reason I don't let go of my vision is I have my expectations. I have my expectations of what the vision should look like. And again, I minimize what God can do because I put my own thoughts into it and it's just so small. You don't realize the fact that the things that you're worried for, for your children and your children's children, the things that you might see that need change or in your family, they can be far beyond what you expect. And as I took it away from Saul, uh, my favor will not depart from him as I took it away from Saul, whom I removed from you. Just so you know, this backswing is hugely important. Saul had a backswing. He had uh, his own vision, his own way. And that is exactly what landed him in that removal of what he was appointed to do. Your house and your kingdom shall endure before me forever. Your throne shall be established forever in accordance with all these words and all this vision. So Nathan spoke to David. So fighting today's battles, I wanted to encourage you because of everything that God just promised to David, fighting today's battles will allow not only for your children's freedom, but for their success. Because honestly, we, we focus so much on the strongholds of sin that we're talking about being broken and we forget, we minimize again, the freedom is just the start. The freedom is just the beginning of your journey and the beginning of your children's journey. I think, man, if I was just free of this addiction, if I was just free of this anxiety, if I was just free financially and out of debt, if I was just to the freedom part, I would be okay. I think we take that mindset. Like I would just be, I would be good God. Like just take that part from me. And he wants to give you success. He wants to give you far and beyond and be way beyond what you expected. And for your kids too. He wants to give them success, not just freedom. So it continues on here in 2 Samuel. Then David the king came in and sat before the Lord. What a beautiful picture. He literally a place of humility. Like his posture was not standing up like, what are you thinking, God? Who am I, Lord God? And are the members of my household that you have brought me this far? He reminds himself of the marvelous light that he was brought into. Just as that verse says, he reminds himself of where he's brought out of. And yet this was insignificant in your eyes, Lord God, for you have spoken also of the house of your servant regarding the distant future. And this is the custom of mankind, Lord God. Wow, what a promise. Time spent under God's anointing. You can write this down. Time spent under God's anointing brings about greater reverence for God's God's vision over your own. So the more that you spend under this vision of his, under his anointing, understanding what it looks like to reach back and swing the way that he tells you to swing, you grit, you just have a greater reverence. God, it's your plan. I look back and see you've rescued me from this. I remind myself of everything that you've done for me. He's rescued my marriage personally. Did you know, we know that the, the, the divorce rate is 50%, right? About I want you to think about this, though. What about the other 50%? How many of you stay together because for the kids or because you don't want to split up financially? Not because you actually need to stay together and work it out. Now, I'm not saying that God works all things together for good, by the way. So every circumstance is still worked out for his purpose. And so I never want to be saying that there's shame in anything in our past, number one, because he works it together for his glory, for his good. He saw it before it happened. But can I just say that when we grant that greater reverence for him, can you imagine that 75% of marriages are probably not even where they should be? 80%, percent—I dare I even say, that's only adding on 20, 25% of those who stay together only because of the kids or because of finances. He doesn't want to just give you freedom in your life. He doesn't want to just give you that. He wants to give you su- success. He wants to make it work. I really mean that. He has rescued me out of my marriage. He is completely. Yes, Tyler, he has for you too, hasn't he? Yes, he has. Lead it well. Lead it well, my friend. Keeps going on here. Again, what more can David say to you? For you know your servant, Lord God, for the sake of your word and according to your heart, you have done all this greatness to let your servant know. For this reason, you are great, Lord God, for there is no one like you. There is no God except you. Is there anything else like him? Nothing. God, accept you according to all that we have heard with our ears. Again, what more can David say to you? For you know what your what you know your servant, Lord God. For your, the sake of your word and according to your heart, you have done all this greatness to, to let your servant know, just to give me a glimpse into the future, God. So again, I would dare say, you may not hear the vision. You may not see the future of what the Holy Spirit wants to reveal to you, of what he wants to do, of what you may not get to see, if it's for you. David's recognizing it's all for you. It's all for you, King Jesus. It's all for you, God. You're the only one that exists that that deserves my praise, that deserves me to listen to your direction. For this reason, you are great, Lord God, for there is no one like you and there's no God except you according to all that we have heard with our ears. I already read that, keep going. And what one nation on earth is like your people Israel, whom God went to redeem for himself as his people and to make a name for himself, not for you, but for himself and to do a great thing for you and awesome things for your land because of your people whom you have redeemed for yourself from Egypt, from other nations and their gods. So David and his nation, Right, He was talking about how the only point he was anointed. I want you to write this down. The only reason David and his nation was knowing God with the purpose of his anointing. That was it. So if your anointing is for anything else, it's to know God. It's to know him and to be known by him and for your kids' kids to know him. Again, the circumstances may look different. Our anointing will look different, but yet be the same. So although we may do many different things in our lifetime, it's all for the same reason, that he may be known. Amen. Now it happened afterward, and we're almost through this. Now it happened afterward, this is in chapter eight. He's, he's moved on, right? And he's continuing on to fight the battles we talked about. And it happened afterward that David defeated the Philistines and subdued them. And David took control of the chief city from the hand of the Philistines. He what? He defeated Moab and he measured them with the line, making them lie down on the ground. And he measured two lines to put to death, a full line to keep alive. Thank God I don't have to make those decisions. And the Moabites became servants to David, bringing tribute. Keeps going. Then David defeated Habedezer, the son. God bless me. God bless me. Let's keep going. The son of Roab, this king of Zobah, And he restored his power at the Euphrates River. And David captured for him 1,700 horsemen, 20,000 foot soldiers. And David, I got stuck on that one, hamstrung almost all the chariot horses, but left enough of them for 100 chariots. When the Armenians of Damascus came to help Hadadazer, king of Zobah, David killed 22,000 men among the Armenians. Think he's done? Nope. Then David put garrisons among the Arameans of Damascus, and the Arameans became the servants to David, bringing tribute. And the Lord helped David wherever he went. Why did he help David? Because he kept on doing the work. Because you're given God's vision doesn't mean you stop doing the work. David went to the shields of gold with which we were carried by the servants of Hadadazer and brought them to Jerusalem. And from Bada to Barathai, cities of Hadadazer, King David took a very large amount of bronze, Oh my goodness, can I just say the only reason I read all of that to you was to understand that he had many things to do. He was at the start of his upswing and he realized, okay, I'm not to build a house, but I know he's called me to defeat these armies. I know that he's called me to clear a path for when the house is built. That he's allowed me to do everything in my path because when the house is going to be built, it will be successful because I paid attention in the moments that I was anointed for I paid attention to detail of what I was supposed to take care of. He did, he did every, again, I said, thank God I don't have to make those decisions, but you will have to make decisions along the way because he's given you vision for the pathway, but you're still going to have to make division, uh, decisions along the way for your household that will directly affect your children's children. You will have to actually pay attention to detail throughout this, this backswing we call life. So when David received vision, it spurred him to set his son up for success. He didn't sit still. He didn't say, oh, I have enough faith. What? It's Faith is small as a mustard seed, by the way. It's not having enough faith. But he didn't just sit back and we can take our hands off and say, God spoke to me this great thing. He, he showed me this great thing. He'll make it happen. No, he's anointed me to do more work. Yes. He's anointed me to do other things to get this prepared. Yes. David wasn't perfect, but we, he always used his anointing to further God's kingdom and not his own. That was evident, wasn't it? It was evident that it wasn't David's plan, but he stayed busy about the work. As David, draw uh, time to draw near when he was dying, right? He commanded his son, Solomon, saying, I am going the way of all the earth. Everybody dies, right? Everybody, Everybody passes at some point. So be strong and prove yourself a man. Do your duty to the Lord God to walk in his ways, to keep his statutes, his commandments, his ordinances, his testimonies, according to what is written in the law of Moses so that you succeed in all that you do and whenever you turn. Pause for a second. He didn't give you instruction on how to defeat armies. He didn't give him destruction on even how to build the house that he was given a vision for. But what he did say was pay close attention to the detail of the instruction of the Lord. Literally listen to his voice every step of the way. I promise you when you're on your deathbed or when you know your time's ending, you will not worry about the instruction of how to change the oil in the car or to make sure the roof is taken care of on the house or how to raise children in in their individual personalities. You will think about how can I instruct my little ones in, in continuing to keep the faith. That will be the most important thing. Again, you're anointed solely for his presence to be present. That is the sole goal. Keeps going here. So that the Lord may fulfill his promise, which he spoke, so that the Lord, it was conditional. We think that this this relationship with Jesus, that yeah, we are saved, born again, and blah, blah, that is not conditional once you say to him, I believe, I follow. But there are many things that he gives you vision for that are conditional upon your response. He's the same God forever, Old Testament and new. If your sons are careful about their way to walk before me in truth with all their heart and all their soul, you shall not be deprived of a man to occupy the throne of Israel. So all the promises I've made to you, they will come about because you are following the instructions of the Lord. Simple as that. So David's swing, his life was not perfect, but successful because it wasn't about him. I hope, like, when we think of David's life, and I know for myself, I often say things and do things for others and not for him. I often say things and do things for my own vision, for my own purpose, for the things that I believe that I need to accomplish and not for him. And it becomes very heavy. Things seem to start to feel very cloudy when I'm in those moments and when I'm in that mindset. But when I have David's mindset, when I look at his life and the anointing he had, and I walk it out in that way, is anyone feeling confused in this moment of, of the vision they have over their life where God has anointed them to do? And it's okay if you don't raise your hand, but does anyone feel that way? I feel that way at times. It's as simple as listening to his instruction, but I don't ask. I want you to see this, the very next verse. Do you remember when I said David did his purpose for God in his own generation, and he went on to decay? I want to look at the next verse. But he whom God raised, who's that? Who did he raise? Jesus, the very lineage of David. Raised, did not go under decay. Therefore, let it be known to you, brothers, that through him forgiveness of sins is proclaimed to you. And through him, everyone who believes is freed from all things from which you could not be freed through the law of Moses. So the backswing dictates the ball, uh, trajectory of the ball, right? Yep. David saw the vision for his son and it resulted in every generation, including you, yes. who's sitting in this room today, as proof, that verse just said, he did his purpose in his generation and the ripple effect is you're sitting here today. Yes. Every generation was blessed. You may not be called to do the things that David did. You may not be called to be a part of that lineage, But did you know that your lineage has an eternal effect? It goes that far. Your name is literally written in the book of life. Doesn't that sound like that lasts forever? What would be the names associated if you had the backswing that he's talking about? Yeah, you're saved, you're born again. You can't mess that up unless you just decide, I don't want him anymore. You can walk away and say, I don't want him anymore, but you can't mess it up otherwise. Like you have to say, I, I submit to you, yes, but it's it's done. He's done the work on the cross. But the swing that you have now dictates, oh, look. Look at all the names associated with that name. Look at all the other names that are written in the book of life. All of our names are written in the book of life literally because David was faithful to the anointing he had. Yes, yes. I want that to be the name of my my life, my inheritance that I give I want it to be eternal. I don't want it to be just something that that lived a good life. So what hinders our backswing? Can I ask you guys, what hinders your backswing? There's many things that come to my mind, but number one has always gotta be this. Number one, you can put it up there. Not discerning God's will through the lens of his word and his spirit. Not discerning his will We ask all the time, what is your will, God? What do you want to do? Whether I've been having really high times or low times, we still want to ask this question, right? What is your will? And yet we don't read his word. We don't look at what he has to say and let the Holy Spirit apply that and say, this is the direction you should go. I tell you, I'm telling you right now, do you believe that you can actually dream dreams, that he can reveal things to you? Again, a a father dreams to set his his own son up for his destiny. So the things that we're talking about, he may speak to you in prayer, he may speak to you in dreams, but the way that he does that is through his word. He brings things to remembrance, doesn't he not? It says that in John, it talks about, he, the Holy Spirit brings things to remembrance that you've already read, that you've actually taken in already for yourself. But unless you're meditating on those things, how can he refresh you? How can he actually bring about those visions and dreams if you don't know his ways, if you don't understand his character? It says this in Psalms, you can put this up here, 25. Make me know your ways, make me know your ways. How do I know his ways? How do I understand who he is? I can tell you how God is, but if it doesn't line up with his word, it's not him. Teach me your paths, lead me in your truth and teach me for you are the God of my salvation. For you, I wait all the day long. And this is something for me too, because my dad and I were talking yesterday on the phone and he was saying, basically careful son, that you always let the word teach you. As a pastor, that's the easiest place for me to go wrong. I can teach the word. I can give you my interpretation. I can give you the will and ways and plans of God, but if I don't let the word teach me, I'm just teaching my own. I'm just teaching my own thoughts, my own discernment, which can be off. Evil looks like good. It said that in the end times that the elect would be deceived. I would be deceived if I'm not paying attention. So unless I'm looking into my pathway of how I should swing, if I'm not looking at that through the lens of God and then asking the Holy Spirit, please speak to me, please reveal to me how to apply this, because he didn't teach me how to discipline my children in the exact way, whether I should spank them or put them in timeout. He didn't teach me how to have that hard conversation with my wife of, hey, I haven't been totally honest with you, but I need to be honest with you now. But he did give us his word and he did give us his Holy Spirit to anoint us to have those types of conversations to actually have a restorative conversation. So ask the Holy Spirit to teach you through the word about how to swing. Ask him to teach you how to swing. The longer you walk this walk of faith, the more that you can oftentimes think that you know how to swing best. You know how to swing because you've been doing it. And even if you haven't been walking this walk or you haven't been attending church or known Jesus for long, you can still assume just by past experiences, I've seen that person swing this way. That means I should swing this way. I saw my dad do it this way. He was a good guy. Maybe he wasn't. Let him teach you a new way. Amen? Number two, be fixated on the, how it can affect our backswing, how we can be completely taken off track with it is being fixated on the immediate success or comfort. So I want to put this verse up here for us. Wealth is gained hastily, will dwindle. But whoever gathers little by little will increase it. So God gives an extravagant promise here to his anointed, but designed us to still work for it. So that means comfort isn't always present. When you gain the spiritual, I want all the spiritual blessing. I want all the dreams without reading his word, right? Like we talked about, I want everything that he has for me. I want to see the blessing in my life. And yet God designed David to still work it out. He designed us to still work it out. It says to work out your faith or your salvation more accurately with fear and trembling. That takes on a whole new meaning. This wealth that we're gaining for generations to come, it's up to us to be faithful. It's up to us to walk out the vision that he's speaking into your life. If you were to gain it all in one instant, it wouldn't be gone in a moment. Number three, we mistake difficulty. You can put this up here, number three. We are mistaking difficulty oftentimes for God's redirection. So when we come up to a difficult situation, we say, well, that can't be God's vision. That can't be his plan. That can't be his ways. Can I remind you, and that even put this up here, it just came to my mind. Remember the Jeremiah 29 where he says, I have plans for you that will always bless you. I will never forsake you, I'll never leave you. Remember how when he gave that promise, it was a whole nother generation before they were released and given their nation back. Again, this is the very vision. The vision is not for them. It was a promise for the next generation. Second Corinthians, Paul says it like this. He's walking out his journey, his anointing, the what he was called to do. For we do not want you to be unaware. Somebody say unaware. unaware. I don't want you guys to be unaware and myself to be unaware that may be difficult. Brothers and sisters of our affliction, which occurred in Asia, that we were burdened excessively beyond our strength so that we despised even life. How many of you despise life in this year? How many of you have said that this is like sucks? Literally, this is too much, right? but we're called to more. Indeed, we had a sentence of death within ourselves that we would not trust in ourselves, but in God who raises the dead, who rescues us from so great a danger of death and will rescue us, he on whom we have set our hope. So as you set your hope on him, you start to realize that my direction is not redirected just because of difficulty. It is not redirected just because it's too much for me to handle. There's many times in a discussion or an argument or a fight, unless you pray to him and rely on him, you won't have it. You won't have it in the tank to do what you need to do. And you'll make the wrong impulsive decision and you'll step out of line and you have to recoup what was lost. Speak from experience. I speak out of anger sometimes because I don't first rely on him because I think it's too much to handle. I act out of ignorance because I don't want to know. I don't ask him and I don't rely on him for the next step. So do not be unaware that God's plan isn't always easy, but it is promised. Over and over, he says that you were chosen. You were a royal priesthood. That, that phrase just keeps coming back to me. Your life is unavoidable. Why are you fighting it? Your calling and your anointing is unavoidable. The things that you were supposed to do, it is unavoidable. Why are you fighting it? It's for the glorification of self. That's why I fight it. I lift up myself above his plan. Number four, lastly, not listening to the wisdom God gives us through others. Who's been to circles lately? Yeah, a few of us, a few of us and that isn't, you know, we have summer plans, we have busyness, but I'm using the example of where we receive sometimes in small group or maybe in a personal conversation. We can oftentimes say, somebody say scoffers. When's the last time you used that word? Never. Go to Proverbs for me. A scoffer, I'm going to give you a little bit of a definition biblically of what that means. Scoffer is someone who is arrogant, haughty, and who acts with arrogant pride, seeks wisdom, and finds none. But knowledge is easy for the one who has understanding. Interesting verse. He's saying, the scoffer asks for wisdom, may even listen to wisdom, from fellow believers, your inner circle, the people you would trust, and then you look at them and say, nope, not going to do that again, I, I can't always see my backswing. I can't always see what I should be doing with my backswing. But others were put beside me and anointed to look at it for me and to say, you know what? I think if you just moved like two inches away from the ball, you'd hit it smack on. But then we say, nah, I'm not going to listen to that. I have my own plan. I have my own way. I don't believe that you would know better. This is my life. He has put people in your life. Don't be a scoffer, someone who is arrogant. He this person asked for wisdom and didn't receive it. Still asked for wisdom but receive it from the right people. So seek to understand wisdom gives us instruction for the long-term solution and not instant gratification. That's the problem why I usually don't listen to people's wisdom is I'm not instantly gratified. It takes more work like we've been talking about. I have to actually do the next process or the next step to get to where I need to be. Somebody say bonus. You guys have been enduring. I've read so much scripture for you. I hope and pray that you take something from it, from his word. If you call yourself a believer, then you believe in the prophetic plans of his anointed. If you call yourself a believer... I almost put it as a warning, but it's really just a statement. It's a bonus. If you call yourself a believer, then you believe in the prophetic plans for His anointed. In His Word, it says this. You can put it up there for me. It, for created, for you created my innermost parts. This is Psalm one thirty nine. You wove me in my mother's womb. I will give thanks to you. This sounds a lot like David's prayer because it is David writing it. Because I am awesomely and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works, and my soul knows it very well. Look at this. My frame was not hidden from you. When I was made in secret and skillfully formed in the depths of the earth, your eyes have seen my formalist substance. And in your book were written all the days that were ordained for me. All of your days were ordained, when as yet there was not one of them. It even says in that passage that he wants to hear from you still. He, he, he knows the prayers that you're going to say before you even ask. Your plans are completely established. So if you believe as a believer in Jesus, it means you have prophetic plans of your life. It means you have very specific things. That means when it's prophetic, he needs to reveal it to you. He needs to be the one that reveals it to you, not you revealing the plan. I hope that this blesses you this morning. I hope that you guys take something away from this. Did you guys learn something this morning as well? I did. I took a lot from this. I wanted to put this as our bottom line for today. God's anointed, our given vision to bless generations for him. Jeez, so good, We're given great vision, great understanding of what is to come, a glimpse into the future, the work that we need to put in so that generations are blessed for him. I pray that you'd meditate on what we've been talking about this morning. I pray that this would sink in deep. I know that for me, leading my house with vision is literally how we won't go astray. That's what it says in his word. It says that that chaos can't come in. So if you've been feeling chaos lately, if you've been feeling an uh, an unsteadiness in your walk, maybe listening to his vision, listening to what he has in his word for you. Where is he directing you? What does he want to do? Amen? Can you put that Psalm 139 back up there for me? We end this every way, every time as an altar call. And it says in Romans 10, that if you confess and believe with your heart that Jesus Christ is Lord and follow him and recognize he died for your sins on the cross, you'll be born again to a new life. But I wanna remind you, if you've never made that step, we're always available to, to speak with you as pastors. Nick is here, Emily is here, myself. We will always be here to talk with you. The reason we don't do the raise your hand thing is I think it takes more than that. I think it takes an active step of realizing that he made me, that my frame was not hidden. You created my innermost parts. Recognizing that he is creator, that he is savior, that he is everything that I need. And so it takes more than raising a hand. It takes a public move for you to do that. So if you haven't made that decision or you made that decision recently, please come talk to one of us. It's taking more than a step of raising a hand. And if you don't know, if you even believe, it's still a great conversation to have with one of us. If you still have questions, amen. And believers in the house, if you know somebody that doesn't know if they're saved or if they're born again, have that conversation with them. That's part of the anointed work. Can we pray together? Jesus, I pray that you would just bless my brothers and sisters today. I pray that you would give them everything that they need. I pray that you would start to reveal as they read your word, as they find wisdom from those that are beside them in circles or within their family unit or within their pastors and their leadership, whoever it might be that you put beside them, Lord, I pray that you would give them instruction in what to do. I pray that you would allow them to see that their backswing of life has much more to do than it does with their own circumstance, but it has more to do with what you're going to bless them with, their kids with, with our church for the next 500 years. I pray that you would give great vision over this church. I pray that you would give great instruction over this church and that we would be attentive to the detail, that we'd be attentive to the working out of what it looks like, that we wouldn't let up on doing good in Galatians. It says not to give up on doing what is good, to do the work that you've called us to do, that because in due season, we'll reap what is ours, we'll reap what is to be done. And maybe we won't see it for this generation. Maybe we won't see all the plans you have, but I pray that you'd give us a glimpse. I pray that you'd give us that Holy Spirit moment to see far beyond our own. So I pray that you'd bless everybody in this house. I pray that you'd bless every move that we make. I pray these things in Jesus name. Amen. Hey, can we uh, praise God this morning? Amen.